0: guy. Uh, I've gotten to know him uh, over over these two weeks, and it's uh, been wonderful. Um, He is our intern uh, for the summer, uh, and he and Isabel, who was singing up here, uh, have already begun doing a fabulous job for the summertime. Uh, Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come this morning, um, and we are here to worship. We are here to meet you, We are here to create sanctuary, just like you said uh, in uh, Exodus 25, 8. We are to build a sanctuary so that you might dwell in our midst. God, that is what we want. That is our desire, and that is why we are here. It's why we show up every Sunday morning, that we meet you, that we worship you in truth and in spirit. And so, God, this morning, may we take a deep breath in. And as we do, we find your very presence in our midst and in our souls and down deep in the places that we need you in. And I pray this morning that you speak your word to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Uh, We are continuing uh, the series on sanctuary. We've been talking about sanctuary for a while, uh, and we will probably continue it for a little while longer. Uh, It's something that uh, I think is important uh, to me personally, but I I think to you as well. And and, uh, most importantly, I think it's a, a theme we find that is throughout Scripture over and over and over again. And so it's something worth digging deep into over and over again, because the longer I dig into it, the more gems uh, and the more truths I find that I didn't even know were there latent in, in Scripture. And so to just quickly remind you of where we've come from, I've been trying to think about uh, sanctuary in three different ways uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, a sanctuary as a, a space— right? So we are literally in a sanctuary right now. We call this part of the building the sanctuary. The, the tabernacle was a sanctuary, uh, but we can think of our grounds as a sanctuary. We can think of the, the, the patch of land that Moses was on, that holy ground where he met God, where we, he saw the, 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 the bush uh, that was on fire, but it wasn't being burned up, uh, as a sanctuary, a, a place to meet God, Right? So there's a sanctuary in space, but there's also a sanctuary in time, and we haven't really gotten to this yet, but thinking of the Sabbath as, as a sanctuary in time. And the idea here is that the Sabbath is to be kept holy, not because the Sabbath itself is necessarily holier than the other days, but because by keeping the Sabbath and by making it a holy day, we sanctify the rest of the week. The whole week becomes holy. In fact, the whole Jewish calendar works this way as well. They they have what are called holy days, and we have anglicized them into holidays, right? And the, the holy day is meant, again, not to just make that one day holy and then every other day is not. It's to make that one day holy, thereby making the whole year, the whole calendar, holy, and so we sanctify our spaces, and we sanctify time, but then perhaps most importantly, the third one, thinking in terms of, of you and I being sanctified, a holy people, a, 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 a sanctuary in terms of people. We are to be the sanctuary. We are to be the place where God dwells and where God meets uh, the world, the rest of the world meets God through us, right? Right? And so space and and time and people, I think these are all sanctuaries. I started to put definitions to the word sanctuary as well. Uh, I have tasked uh, the Sunday school class that meets downstairs uh, with giving me some definitions uh, and Clint has reported uh, that they've done their homework and that they have some some work ready for me, which is great, I can't wait to hear that. Uh, And I've gone about, uh, I've got three things on my list right now. Uh, This list is growing though. The first is this, that a sanctuary uh, is a place where God dwells. We see that evidently, cle- it is, is blindingly obvious in Exodus 25.8, which we read for today, and it says, you shall make for me a sanctuary, and why? Because I will dwell there, right? That's what a sanctuary is. It's a place where God dwells. Secondly, though, it's a place of rest and refuge, It's a place where you can go to be safe. And South Run Baptist Church, we we should be a place where people can go to feel safe and to find God. This is who we should be. And then third, it's a place of worship. A sanctuary is a place of worship. And I tried to broaden this definition of worship for us a few weeks ago, And in its fullest sense, I tried to say that all of our thoughts and words and deeds that glorify God, well, they can be all a sense of worship and trying to cut down the sacred and secular divide that often exists. I believe that planting a garden can bring God glory just as much as me preaching a sermon up here. And I don't know if you fully believe that, but I think it's true. We're designed to do more than preach sermons in this life, and it all is designed to bring glory to God. Um, this morning I come uh, with a proposition. I want to start a building project. And I haven't told the council about it yet. Uh, but it's not a building project like you think. uh, I'm not thinking in terms of a a space. I want us as a church to begin uh, getting a little bit of a different mindset about how we operate, okay? So I'm, I'm not proposing that we build that second and third and fourth and fifth building that uh, I, I think at one point in our church's history they had designed for us to build. Uh, we may get there, uh, but we've got a few things to do uh, to get us to that point. What I'm thinking is, uh, is a little different, and before us sits two questions. And, and the questions are these. Are we running a church— right? Are we running a church? Essentially, are we just kind of minding the shop, right? Or or are we building something from the ground up? Are we building in terms of a new schedule, events, a mission, a purpose, leadership structure, even a building and grounds at some point? Like, if we were to think in these two terms, like do we want to be a people who is building something or do we want to be a people who are kind of minding the shop? And I would have to think we would want to be people who are are building something, right? That we have a purpose behind what we're doing, something bigger than ourselves, than than merely just kind of going through motions, coming in every Sunday, going out every Sunday, maybe being part of a Bible study here or there, But that there's something larger that looms uh, in the distance, that we're all walking toward together. I would think that this is the kind of people we want to be. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we shopkeepers or are we builders? In our Old Testament passage for today, The Israelites, it turns out, are builders, are they not, right? We read from Exodus chapter 25. Go ahead. There, We had a little technical difficulty this morning uh, with the the slides, uh, and uh, I want to make sure you can read this. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew back in front of you, Um, and if you're on the front row, there might be one underneath you. As you're turning to Exodus 25, uh, a quick reminder, uh, and uh, to give you the mental landscape of the book of Exodus, which is what I tried to do last week. uh, Remember, I said there's three parts to this book, right? There's what you know well, which is the Exodus story, the let my people go story, and that ends in chapter 15, which gives us a lot of chapters left, right? This is a 40-chapter book. Chapters 16 through 24, this is uh, the covenant-making part of the book. Israel goes up the mountain or to the mountain. Moses goes up the mountain. They make a covenant with God. They get the Ten Commandments. Uh, There's a ceremony, and uh, they all say, I do. It's something of a wedding ceremony, frankly. And then we get to the part we read today, which is chapter 25. And it begins this way, and chapter 25 to the very end is all about the same thing. It's all about the building of the tabernacle. And it goes like this. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel, that they take for me a contribution. Uh, Moses is asking for an offering plate at this point. Uh, He's He's passing around the plate, and he says, From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that we're all asking for. We need this, God says. We need gold. And we need silver and we need bronze and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and we need fine twined linen we need some goat's hair tanned ram skins goat skins acacia wood oil for lamps spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breast piece if we just stop there this might seem a bit of an odd list to you unless you really know your bible well And you have to really know your Bible well to know why these things are included. Because what happens is as you read through the next chapters, what we get is a very detailed list, and I mean detailed list, of exactly what is supposed to go into that tabernacle. Every room is described, every square inch of every room is described, the exact materials, and it turns out that this is the materials list that is needed to make all of the items that create the sanctuary and then go into the sanctuary, right? So this is why this list exists. And so God is saying to Moses, go collect all of these things, and then he says, the key line, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. I uh, had somebody approach me after, oh, I'm just going to out her. It was Sarah Wolfe. She came up to me last week and she said she wants an answer uh, to why These are my words now, though I think she might have said them too. As to why the last half of the book of Exodus is so boring, uh, dare I say so from the pulpit here, uh, I will say, so if you're going to make a movie about the book of Exodus, you're going to make a movie about the first half, right? In fact, they've done so. (laughs) If you haven't seen them, they've made multiple movies. They've never made a movie, however about the last half of the book of Exodus, and there's a good reason why. It's a lot of details about this sanctuary. Well, frankly, it's 15 chapters about the description of the sanctuary. And Sarah Wolf asks a good question. Why so much detail here? My guess is some of you actually have tried to read through the Bible right? Uh, you start the in January, and you think, I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to read through the whole Bible. And you get through Genesis, and you start feeling good about yourself. And then you get through the action-packed part of Exodus, and you think, this is enjoyable. I, I can do this. And then, and then you start to get into that last half of Exodus, and you think, ah, oh, man, this is tough. <laughs> Let me just skip ahead to Leviticus. And then it doesn't get any better, right? <laughs> uh, so why? What is happening here? Uh, Sarah, I'm going to try to answer you. Here's my best guess. First of all, there's, uh, there's really two questions to this. And the first question is, uh, why so much detail? And the second question is, if you've read it, it repeats itself almost verbatim. Twice. Like there's these two full tellings of the same things, right? So these are the two questions I want to answer. The first is why so, many, so much detail and why is it so boring? Why is there not enough action? And I would say it's not boring to me. I don't know why it is to you. Shame on you i have steeped myself however in the ancient world and happen to love this sort of thing so when i read about uh, these very detailed ancient descriptions uh, of a of a building i geek out a little bit like it that is what i enjoy okay the other thing i'd say though is if you've ever read any classic literature and here i'm thinking uh, when you're in high school the, the books that they force you to read. And they get mired in these very lengthy details about a a palatial English cottage uh, where there's a garden and and you walk and they describe the steps for like five pages. And and then they describe this urn that's over in the corner for another six pages after that. That's kind of what we're getting here. We get these very elaborate descriptions so that you can imagine exactly what is happening in this world, in this time, and in this place, right? This is what we get. It gives you something to imagine. It gives me details uh, that I can then look into, and it, it tells me what it would have looked like at the time. And it frankly gives us a window into something that we often don't get a window into, which is just what did the ancient world even look like? And here... we have a very clear description. So I'm okay with the first part. I don't know if you are or not. But the second part is actually a really good question, and it's where I want to get to. The second part is, why the repetition? Chapters 25 to 40 are essentially a facsimile of itself. So it just kind of repeats itself. But what you need to know, well, before I say it, the first half is God giving to Moses what happens and, and, and what uh, should be built. The second half is the Israelites accomplishing that task, right? So the first half is, is, is Moses up on the mountain receiving the message from God. The second half is the Israelites actually doing it. There's a really uh, important thing that happens right in the middle of it all. And do you know what that is? Moses comes down from the mountain, and he sees in the distance a golden calf, right? He, he sees in the distance that the Israelites have already, have already messed up. They're still at Mount Sinai, just so we're clear. They haven't even left Mount Sinai yet. And Moses comes down, and he sees that the Israelites have done what they should not do, and so there's a, a very uh, difficult uh, thing that has to happen. God considers leaving. Uh, Moses has to uh, convince God. You should read these chapters. It's, it's chapters 20, 32 uh, to 34. Uh, it's, a, it's just fraught with, uh, well, frankly, the relationship between Israel and their God that then goes on and exists throughout their history, which is that Israel seems to, uh, at every turn, disappoint and they seem like they're going to do the right thing until they don't, and then they do the right thing until, again, they don't. And the relationship with God is one that is fraught, and it's right there, right in the beginning of it all. And so why the repetition? Well, I think because sitting in the middle of it is a big question. Are these people— going to create the sanctuary that they should create, which is a pretty good question for us too, right? We, we have a task, and we know we're supposed to create sanctuary, that I'm supposed to be a sanctuary, and you are too, and our church is supposed to be one, but the question at hand is, am I going to do that or not? And it's easy to judge the Israelites for their failures. They're no longer alive. Uh, (laughs) But the fact is, you and I make these sorts of mistakes on a regular basis, right? And so why the repetition? Because they actually do it. They actually do it. They build the sanctuary, I love that Israel's story is not whitewashed. I think I've said that before. We get the good, the bad, and the ugly. We get their failures. We get their struggles. We even get God almost walking away from them. And we get their successes, too. And it makes their successes, in my opinion, much richer. Because they feel like my successes. Because my successes, like yours are a mixture of success and failure bundled up with God's grace, right? So in chapter 35 of the book of Exodus, we get the second time through. And as we get this second time through of the telling of the tabernacle stuff, there's something interesting that happens. You see, it all gets preceded with another story, a story that's very similar to the one that we read for today in Exodus 25. In Exodus 35, 20 through 29, says that Moses has begun to pass around the hat, right? And we get this story. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, and everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, they brought the Lord a contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. And so they came, men and women, all who were of willing heart, they brought brooches, they brought earrings, and signet rings, and armlets, and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue, or purple, or scarlet yarns, or fine linen, or goat's hair, or tanned rams skins, or goat skins, they brought those too. And everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze, they brought that as well. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work, they brought it. And every skillful woman, they spun with their hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. And all the women whose hearts were stirred them to use uh, the skill, they spun their goat's hair And the leaders, they brought the onyx stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And they brought spices and oil for the light and for the atoning oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, they brought it. They brought a free will offering to the Lord. And here we have it, right? Here we have the people who were told to do this one thing and then they mess up royally but then they get it right and they indeed, they're all in and their hearts are indeed being moved and the Spirit is moving through them, it says. And they give of their free will, and they create sanctuary. They create sanctuary. They actually get it right so much that in the next chapter, they start giving and giving and giving and giving, so much so that Moses has to stand up at some point and say, all right, folks, Uh, we're done. We've 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 got enough material. You you've given enough. Now uh, we we can we can stop. Right? That's how much they were moved by the Spirit to create their sanctuary. Now picture this with me: if you are those people, and you've been moved to, by the Spirit to create to build this thing, right? And then you see it put up, and you know that your brooch or your earrings or your whatever is a part of that space. I imagine you take some great pride in that, right? And for those of you in this crowd who were here, South Run Baptist Church, in the early days, as this church was being formed and as it was being built— I know that you take a certain pride in what this church means to you, in what this church means to the community, because you were here when it was built. You had a hand in the building process. Hidden in the last third of the book of Exodus is this turnaround story. It's a wayward people Who begin worshiping idols and must be corrected but most of all most of all they simply needed a purpose they needed a vision an aim a goal they needed something to walk toward they needed an end to a journey a vision of the good life a vision of something that god was calling them to and god gave that to them in spades When Moses walked down the mountain and found Israel worshiping the golden calf, he hadn't yet had an opportunity to give them God's vision of the tabernacle. But once Moses was able to, once Moses was able to, and once Israel had the vision of dwelling with God in sanctuary, everything seemed to change. They got to work building something. They contributed their share. They contributed their talents because they now had a goal, the goal of dwelling in the midst of God, in his very presence, the goal of the tabernacle, the goal of sanctuary. A quote I love uh, that I keep in my office, Uh, I can't say the man's name, but it's something along the lines of Antoine de uh, Uh, (laughs) Saint-Exupéry. whatever. says this, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I think this is what God gives the people of Israel. He gives them that immensity of the sea to long for. He gives them the longing for his very presence, for sanctuary in their midst. And then, once they have something to strive for, they begin to walk toward it, one step at a time. Interestingly, once we get to the New Testament, it all changes in the most radical of ways. Sanctuary is not, and no longer by necessity, a place. It's not that tabernacle anymore, though I think it actually can be, as I said at the beginning of this sermon. It is the presence of God poured out into the world. In a post-New Testament world, sanctuary is first and foremost Christ poured out for the world and in the world. It is Emmanuel, God living and breathing and walking in our midst in the person of Jesus. It is John 1.14, our New Testament passage for the day. The word becomes flesh and it tabernacles among us. That's this word here for dwelt among us. He tabernacles among, he becomes the temple, the tabernacle, that holy place, the sanctuary. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. But secondly, another thing happens. The Holy Spirit gets poured out on the disciples in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. And the tongues of fire that are over their heads is the same flame that led Israel through the wilderness all those 40 years, right? And it's the very presence of God with them. And third, however, is that the sanctuary isn't just for those first disciples. It's in all disciples of Christ in all times and in all places, Paul says that you and I are a temple, a sanctuary where God dwells. We are intended to be sanctuaries in this world and for this world, the place where God meets others. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Therefore, God starts this tabernacle sanctuary project, this building project, with Moses and the Israelites back in Exodus 25, but that is by no means the end of the project. It's all moving towards something. And with Jesus, a significant shift happens, and the Spirit is poured out on us. But even that's not the end. We await the Revelation 21 world, where all things, all people, and all places, and all times are sanctuaries, where God dwells in and through all. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, creator of heaven and earth and all that is good in this world, God, you desire that we be a people who are set apart, that are different, that are uh, created in your image, and in your likeness that exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, things like joy and love and peace. And it's people like this that you inhabit and that you dwell within. And it's people like this that our world desperately needs. God, may we be a sanctuary to this world. May our church be a sanctuary to this world. God, I pray that as we begin to think about being a people who are building something, that, Lord, we keep in mind these Israelites back in Exodus 25 and Exodus 35 who are filled with the vision of you dwelling in our midst, and that we push on and give what we have over to you, that you might build something spectacular that will indeed revolutionize our lives and the lives of our community, and who knows, maybe even the entire world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.